Well, good morning, everyone. This is Palm Sunday, and uh, <clears throat> we are in my home again. So we will see how this goes, but it's good to be with you. I'm glad you decided to join us. Uh, if this is your first time with us, we want to extend a special good morning to you uh, from your home. We've been meeting from home for a couple of weeks now. We've been studying the book of Luke for quite some time and are currently uh, finding ourselves in chapter 23, which is just as Simon of Cyrene has been plucked from the crowd and told to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. We studied this last Sunday in great detail. We're going to take a break from that. Uh, this morning we're actually going to recognize Palm Sunday and the meaning it has for us and briefly look back on um, Christ's entry into Jerusalem as he was preparing for the cross. Now this will serve as a good uh, reminder that this coming Thursday, April 9th, we are going to be doing a live stream at 6 p.m. And this is our Monday Thursday service, and typically it is a communion service, and we are still going to do that. We thought it would be wonderful if somehow we could still meet together as a community and uh, celebrate communion. So what we're asking you to do this particular time is to have something there, whether it's grape juice or, or some other drink, and a piece of bread that symbolizes, of course, the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And uh, we will have some music. <clears throat> we will be speaking, obviously, about uh, the upper room and what took place there. We will share communion together. So invite you to join us for that. Then the next night, April the 10th, Good Friday service, same time, 6 p.m., and we will be walking through a little more of uh, the cross, which is where we left off in our previous study about Simon of Cyrene. So we're, not, we're going to actually pick up the story on Friday. So if you want to stay connected to the series, you will definitely want to tune in on Friday. And then Sunday morning, of course, we will celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So all of that is to say... Uh, we'd love to have you here, and we want to remain a family, so feel free to take advantage of these things as much as you can. So let's begin our study for this morning. Let's look back at some background information as Christ makes His way to His final Passover celebration in Jerusalem. We pick up the story while He and His disciples are ministering in Galilee. A little bit of geographical information here. Galilee is north of Samaria. Uh, and then we, we have Galilee, we have Samaria, we have the Jordan River to the east of Samaria. South of Samaria is Jericho. And uh, Samaria was an area <clears throat> that the Jews did not want to walk into or especially travel through. So what they would do is they would go south in Galilee as far as they could. When they got to the outskirts of Samaria, they would cross uh, the Jordan River to the east they would travel south until they got to the south, southern part of Samaria. They would cross back over to the west on the, of the Jordan River, at which point they were basically in Jericho. There were two Jerichos. One was the ancient Jericho, and one was the more modern Jericho, but they were pretty close to one another. <clears throat> As you may remember, this was not only Jesus and his disciples that were making their way south. So it wasn't the band of 13 men or 12 men and God. It was an entire multitude. So a lot of these folks have been following Jesus since he began teaching uh, three years ago. And so he had collected quite a, a, um, a following. And so this was a multitude of people that were traveling south. 
And it, it was, a, of course, the same multitude that crossed over from the east of Jordan into the west <clears throat> of the Jordan River and into Jericho. We pick this up in Luke 18, verse 31. And I'll just have a little bit of a commentary as we go through this. While he and his disciples were in Galilee, taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up. Now that means up in altitude, because um, Jerusalem is actually south geographically, but it's, it's up the hill. Uh, and he says, we're going to be going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So the implication here is this. Jesus is saying, we're going to go into Jerusalem, just like it is written about the Son of Man by the prophets, will, everything will be accomplished, and that means me. He didn't say that, but that's exactly what it meant. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, For he, or I, will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, meaning Christ, they will kill him. And on the third day, he, meaning I, in first person, will rise again. So he's, he's actually <clears throat> revealing some things here that are very important, and he's not revealed them uh, in such a forthright manner before. It's still confusing to everybody, though. So we see here that Jesus is plainly and boldly revealing that He is the Son of Man, their Messiah, but not in a way they can understand. We find this in Luke 18, 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As He drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's, there's significance in that, but we studied that a few months ago, so we're not going to go into that detail, but there's some significance in the fact that he called him son of David. Verse 39, and those who were in front rebuked him, meaning in front of this multitude, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. That means the entire multitude stopped. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him. Now the blind beggar was not an intimidating character at all. You might imagine <clears throat> He's uh, probably been sitting there for uh, maybe even years, just trying to eke out some kind of a financial something to survive. He is, in other words, he's easily dismissed. He's easily ignored. But Jesus did not ignore him. This blind beggar calls out to him, and Jesus says, bring him to me. But the crowd had already rebuked him, saying, telling him to be silent. We might, we might hear a, a group of people say, just shut up to this blind beggar. Just shut up. We're, we're important people. Here. We're, we're part of an important movement, and Jesus is important. He doesn't need to be bothered by someone like you. Luke 18.40 says this, And Jesus stopped, commanded him to be brought to him, and when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? 
And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This would be quite a thing to see. Again, we studied this in detail some time ago, and I don't want to go into too many of the details now because of that. But you can imagine a man perhaps who has not seen since birth or soon after birth suddenly seeing and taking in all the sights, and there is this Jesus and a multitude of people. So that's one person that this multitude encountered in Jericho. There's still another fellow that joins us on this trip with whom you're very familiar. It's in the 19th chapter of Luke. So Luke 19.1 says this, He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to the guest, to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Now Zacchaeus obviously was not a popular man. He was a chief tax collector. And what that meant was, he got a percentage of the percentages of the local tax collectors. So not only did the people not think so highly of Zacchaeus, But the people who could have been his peers especially did not like him. He was kind of doubly despised. We read this in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So this is what we learn. Zacchaeus got saved. And some people would say it's radically saved. Saved is saved. It's either radical or it isn't. And truthfully, it's all radical. But this particular fellow immediately began to make sacrifices of that which was most dear to him because he was wealthy. Now, Jesus and this multitude make their way towards Jerusalem from Jericho. So you have the multitude coming from Galilee all the way down the eastern side of the Jordan River, crossing over into Jericho. Jesus heals um, a blind beggar, and then he moves on. He sees Zacchaeus in a tree, who probably didn't want to necessarily be noticed, but he does notice him, and Zacchaeus is brought to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So we have these folks traveling together. And some of the biblical uh, historians, by the way, believe that Zacchaeus became a pastor later on because there's mention of him. So at some point, Jesus receives news 
that Lazarus has died. They're moving from Jericho on, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And Bethany, where, G where Lazarus lived, is on the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus waits four days and goes to see Lazarus, Martha, and Mary in Bethany. Now, these three folks are mentioned in the scriptures by name, which is kind of unusual, other than leadership. Um, they, I believe they were really very, very good friends, maybe best friends. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. They leave Jericho, go to Jerusalem. They go into Bethany. Jesus lays Lazarus from the dead. And we read in John that people were amazed at what they saw. But some went to the chief priests and reported what Jesus had done. Again, this, these were not just 13 people that saw this miracle. A multitude saw this miracle or the result of that miracle. <clears throat> some of them were amazed, and some of them immediately felt they had to go to the Pharisees. Following this miracle, Jesus and the multitude make their way through Bethpage, which is in between uh, Bethany and Jerusalem. Just a little crossroads, and on to the Mount of Olives. Many of those who had witnessed the raising of Lazarus had run ahead of them and gone into Jerusalem. So the first thing that some of these folks hear in Jerusalem concerning Jesus is that he had raised someone from the dead. And of course, there were others that went directly to the chief priest or the Sanhedrin, and they were telling them that this Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Probably two different motives. <clears throat> so this set the stage for the triumphal entry. It is the Passover festival. There are upwards of one million Jewish pilgrims in the area, as well as the Jews who lived in and around Jerusalem. And of course, that was the capital. Pilate is there with at least a cohort, meaning at least 600 soldiers, who are housed in Fort Antonia, which is connected to the northeast corner of the temple grounds. The temple guards are there. Now, these are the fellows that are appointed by Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin to keep order in the temple. But because they were Jewish, in other words, they were not Roman citizens, they could not have lethal weapons. So these fellows were, uh, they had clubs, kind of like a nightclub or a billy club, and that's how they kept order. So we have 600 Roman soldiers. We have the temple guard who is in the courtyard primarily. Israel has once again, like other times in their history, such as Egypt, been living under another kingdom's authority, namely the Roman Empire. Their relationship is complicated and cumbersome, to say the least, because Israel's kings consist of a pagan, power-hungry family by the name of the Herods. The Herods forged alliances with Rome at the expense of the Jewish people. They were always trying to endear themselves to the Roman authority. Therefore, there was a longing for someone amongst the Jewish people there was a longing for someone to rise up and deliver them from their captors, kind of like Moses did when they were delivered from Egypt. Are we getting the picture here? Let's go on. It would be at this particular Passover celebration 
that Jesus would reveal himself to be the long-awaited Messiah, fulfilling the prophecies spoken hundreds of years before. Add to this, Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem with hundreds and perhaps thousands of people who had been following him throughout his ministry of three years in the north. They had observed many miracles, most recent of which was the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and most importantly, they had heard his teaching. Now concerning his teaching, the leadership had quickly decided that Jesus was more of a threat to their power, position, and finances than a leader that was fit for them to lead them. So to summarize, a perfect storm was brewing on the horizon. The elements for a monumental event were in place. An entire nation who was fed up with being second-class citizens, they were heavily taxed, they were ruled by pagan kings who reported to pagan emperors, they were routinely persecuted and even murdered, they were gathered in their capital, in their temple courtyard, to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. So we have that going on. Now, from the north, this rather unimpressive-looking man arrives on Mount Olivet with upwards of a thousand followers. And this would be Jesus' third visit to the Passover feast since beginning his ministry. The first time he visited, he cleared the temple of its profiteers by using whips and turning over tables. He was not a popular fellow. He would do this same thing again on this Passover. First time he goes into the Passover in his public ministry, he clears the temple. Second time he doesn't. This final time he clears the temple again. He is fulfilling prophecies as he goes most of which went unrecognized. So we have the Jewish people in Jerusalem that have had it. They're frustrated. But now they're celebrating the Passover, and it's a great celebration. 600 Roman soldiers, temple guards are on alert. <clears throat> it's crowded. It's noisy. Everybody is tense, especially law enforcement is intense. And then this fellow from up north travels back down through. He enters into the Mount of Olives with over a thousand people, we believe. And he's preparing to enter in. He's fulfilling prophecies. Jeremiah 23.5 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, that means Jesus, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Another scripture, Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There are other scriptures, Old Testament prophecies, that Jesus is fulfilling, many of them. We just don't have time to go through them all, and these are the most obvious. So we read these two prophecies, and now we read about the fulfillment of the prophecy in John's account of the triumphal entry. John 12, 12 says this, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast 
heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees. Remember, uh, in, in the one scripture, it symbolizes the right, righteous hand of God. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So here's the picture. The multitude was singing all of the right words, but without understanding. And they were shouting and proclaiming the holy writings and missing the point. They were singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I wonder if we can find ourselves in this scene someplace. Is this us sometimes? Reciting all of the right words and singing the songs about God and His glory, but still missing the point. How about our churches? Is it possible to have thousands of people gather together in unity and miss the point altogether? Obviously, yes. It says here that even those who were the closest to Christ missed the point at first. John 12, 16 says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. We're going to walk through this a little bit in this area. But this is also what we read about those who were attracted by the miracles, and only the miracles. Verse 18 says this, The reason why the crowd, the crowd that was in Jerusalem, went to meet him, was that they heard he had done this sign, meaning raising Lazarus from the dead. So let me back up so there's no confusion. The crowd that had been witnessing, that witnessed the, the miracle of Lazarus, they are the same crowd that had traveled with him from Galilee, and they knew him. They were familiar with him. They had heard his teaching. They got it to some degree. They continued to bear witness, is what verse 17 says. Even though there was a miracle, they continued to bear witness. But the people who came from Jerusalem, who heard about the miracle, they went to meet him for the only reason they heard they had raised, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So they came out to see Jesus. Perhaps he was a magician. Perhaps he was a performer, an illusionist. Maybe it was just the, Jesus the miracle worker. There were miracles back then. Or more importantly, Jesus the new king of Israel. Remember, they were frustrated. They were kind of desperate. And they hear about over a thousand people coming in to the Mount of Olives with Jesus. And they're thinking, maybe this is him. Maybe this sounds familiar to us also. 
when Jesus was sent to Herod during the trials, Herod wanted to see a sign or a miracle from Christ. Christ remained silent, and he gave him no sign. So again, can we relate to this? How many have received Jesus, the financial advisor, or Jesus, the healer, or Jesus, the marriage counselor, or Jesus, the giver of gifts? The point is, there were thousands who lined the pathway from the Mount of Olives to the temple gate, singing praises to their Messiah, most of whom would be shouting, crucify him, in less than five days. For three years, a perfect storm has been forming and gathering strength, and all of the players are in place, most of whom are unaware of where this is leading, and the plan continues to unfold. The only one present who truly knows where this is leading is Jesus, who is sitting upon a donkey's foal riding into Jerusalem, which is symbolic of a king who is bringing peace to a kingdom he had conquered. And he is looking beyond the accolades of the crowd and focusing on two things that no one else is mindful of. He is focusing on Jerusalem and grieving to the point of tears and the cross he will bear. And by the way, the cross has always been his focus. John 12:2 says this, Next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. We pick up the story in Luke 19.37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Are we getting the picture? Jesus begins to descend the Mount of Olives, followed by the multitude that he brought with him from the north, and they are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Jews. As he is descending the hill, a multitude in Jerusalem have heard that he is on his way in, so they go out to meet him, and they are singing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You get more of a picture in Matthew. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks when they got together. Most of the crowds spread their, uh, spread their cloaks on the ground on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him, that's the crowd from Jerusalem, and that which followed him, the crowd from Galilee and Jericho, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Guess who was in that crowd? Probably Lazarus, Zacchaeus, and the non-blind beggar. And then we read this in verse 10. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet 
Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They missed the point. Now we know what follows, do we not? Because we've been studying this for quite some time in our regular Sunday mornings. But here's the summary of what we were talking about today. And I, I think a good application. The significance of Palm Sunday is threefold. Prophecy was fulfilled. Number two, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey's foal, which symbolized a king offering peace to a conquered kingdom. And finally, this would trigger the events that would lead to the preordained moment of his crucifixion and resurrection and his return to his Father's side in heaven. And as glorious as the, as the triumphal entry is, or was, it gets even better for us. For those of us who have received Christ as a Redeemer, we will also have a triumphal entry into heaven. This is what the, scripture, the Scriptures say concerning the destiny of all believers in Christ. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away our tears. Daniel 12, 13. Go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol, I will redeem them from death. O death, where are your thorns? O death, where is your sting? John 5, beginning with verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has also given him the authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. It's a sobering scripture. It's going to be a resurrection for all. For believers, we will be resurre resurrected into heaven in the presence of Jesus. And for those who are not believers, they will be resurrected into hell. And it says here, for those who have done good and those who have done evil, what that simply means is for those who have received Christ and for those who have not. John 14, 1-3 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is part of our triumphal entry. Triumphant entry. Acts 1.11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back for us. He will escort us into heaven. What a wonderful thought. 1 Peter 1.3, An inheritance imperishable and undefiled that, uh, and that will not fade away is reserved in heaven for you. In this you greatly rejoice, and though you have not seen him, you love him with joy inexpressible 
and full of glory. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What a great entry into heaven. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, He comes with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Revelation 21 one says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from your eyes. It will be a joyous place. Finally, and I think this one's the most beautiful of all, by the way. Revelation 22.4 They shall see his face. We shall see the face of Jesus. That's our triumphal entry. And it's glorious. I have to tell you about salvation. And I think sometimes we repeat this so much that for believers, it becomes a little less special maybe, but it shouldn't. The world is full of opportunities and the world is full of options. And some of them look very, very good. But when it comes to salvation, there's only one way. And that is through receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And once we recognize that this life is not all there is, you have to start wondering about, well, what is following this? this life, and some would say nothing. And I've not seen that uh, in any kind of wisdom. That just doesn't make sense to me. In any philosophy, it doesn't make sense to me. Nor is it satisfying to think about. But you have to be wondering, what's the next step? Well, unless, unless God comes soon, the next step is we're going to taste death. Uh, just like Jesus did, by the way. And a lot of people fear death, and I understand that. I don't look forward to the process, but I'm not afraid of death. So the next step is death, and then the next step after that you have to wonder, what is it? It's called eternity. And the Bible says this, there's two eternities. Eternal torment and uh, eternity living with God the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you want that eternity, there's only one way to assure yourself of that eternity, and that is this. God, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe the Bible. I, I don't understand it. Uh, it's complicated, all of those things. But this is what I know. I know the next step is death, and I know that the step after that is eternity, and I want to spend it with you. And so the confession is this, I don't deserve it, but you've given me a way to attain it. And it's through this very man that was riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And as he's riding into Jerusalem, he begins to weep for Jerusalem. And I think that's symbolic 
He weeps for everyone who does not know Him. Recognizing that, and the next step is simply to say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and uh, control my life and be Lord of my life. And you may ask, well, what does that cost you? It costs you everything. It costs you having your own way, having your own dreams, uh, fixing your own problems. Uh, but the benefit is eternity with Christ. And we pray that you do that. And that prayer would sound something like this. Father God, I thank you. I praise you. I thank you for sending your son. And I thank you, Jesus, for introducing me to you through your word this morning. And Lord Jesus, I just surrender everything I have and everything I am. And I ask you to come into my life, my heart, my mind, my spirit, and own me. And Father, I give you all that I have. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So appreciative that you, uh, you joined us. And we hope to see you on Thursday night and Friday night. And of course, Resurrection Sunday. Blessings.